Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. School is back from summer. Man. Everybody in Houston, including myself, has sent most of their children back to school. And I tell you what, I couldn't be more elated. I know a couple podcasts ago, Tuttle and I talked about how hard it is to be that cruise director for the family when school is out for summer. That was an awesome rendition of uh, the Pink Floyd special school being out for summer. Um, That's the best you're going to get. And that's probably the only place you're going to be able to hear me sing is on our podcast. So much like a lot of you have already been doing, make sure you subscribe, download, rate, review, tell your friends that uh, Blummer's going to be on here singing and just destroying your eardrums right from the outset as we open the gates to the bleachers. But school is back, and it's an interesting time because there's a lot of relief, I would imagine, for a lot of parents out there sending their kids back to school because now they can get a, a little bit more of a routine. And especially in Houston, it's really tough during the summer because cabin fever sets in because there's only so many indoor activities you can create without keeping your kids on the phone constantly, keeping them off social media, keeping them entertained, trying to educate and get them prepared for the upcoming school year. So it's a little bit tough, not to mention that your lungs are just sucking in free on, you know, hour after hour, minute after minute, because you know, at with school starting in Houston, it has been literally the hottest week of this of the year for them, reaching temperatures of 100 plus with the humidity. Can only imagine what it's like because I just landed on the left coast last night around 9 p.m. after a four-hour flight from Chicago, and it is I think it's going to be 77, 80 degrees out here. And one of the funny, I mean, it's not funny if people are you know passing out from heat stroke up here in the Northern California, but it's just funny how. The people in Northern California have acclimated to perfect weather. And then once it spikes to 80, 90 degrees, people start falling out. But they don't have the, you know, the accessibility of of air conditioning or anything like that. And I'm sure that electric bills go off the charts in the middle of summer like they do in Houston. But Tuttle, give me an idea of what's going on out here on the left coast with your kids. How has your week been? It It was a really good week for us. And there was a great turnout for Bleacher Plums After Dark. And I think it kind of it kind of it kind of scared me, but it encouraged me. And I think we've got to do a better job, maybe of maybe every once in a while throwing a little little bone out there to the fans with us, maybe a little bit tipsy. It was a good time, man. How you been? I've been great, and uh, yeah, I think we're gonna have to start day drinking if the uh, if the drinking podcast <laughs> goes as well as the the after dark one. That was a lot of fun, and now today I'm just like fired up. It's early in the morning, and I'm thinking. Oh, I got to mellow out a little bit. People really enjoyed the uh, the After Dark podcast. Um, we are not back in school yet, fortunately or unfortunately, but we are closing in on that day. That'll be next week, so about four or five days. And uh, I think you nailed it with the weather. I think we all just get acclimated to where we live. I mean, we're getting up to 80, 85 here today down in Southern California. If it gets up to 90, we will probably have to turn on the air conditioning. And I think it's always that balance of, you know, how much money do you want to spend? You already pay the uh, weather tax out here in California. Whereas, as you said, in Arizona and Houston, Texas, you just it's free on inhaling constantly and you have no fear of uh, running the AC. But like you said, indoor activities during the summer get more challenging and more challenging. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, a lot of device time in our house. But uh, 
even getting the guys, the kids to get out to the beach and the pool are still, uh, are still fun activities that, um, that maybe the Houstonians don't get to partake in. So uh, welcome to the left coast. And uh, we're certainly enjoying the weather, but the uh, dog days of summer are here and we're just, I'm with you. I can't wait to scooch them back into school. Yeah, that routine is very nice. I know that uh, unfortunately with uh, my wife being home alone during these 10 day, 10, during this 10 day road trip, I apologize. You know, it's kind of tough on her. And I've got four kids in high school, all four playing volleyball and three of them are freshmen. And the volleyball situation is interesting. My oldest daughter's on the varsity team, and congratulations to her. I, I have no idea how proud I am of her. It's, it's a good volleyball school, and she is on the varsity team, and she's, she started a couple games on the outside as a hitter. And it's been a lot of fun. But, you know, in making varsity and Tuttle and a lot of other parents out there who have varsity athletes, you know that sports really revolves around seniority let alone high school, but it's always about once you achieve a certain level, you get certain perks of the program. And one of the perks of being on the varsity team is, is that you get to practice after school. You don't have to go, uh, you know, before school and get your gym time in. So now my triplets are freshmen playing volleyball and my wife on her Instagram just showed a, a picture of dropping the triplets off at 528 a.m. in Houston. And when I get done and when I get back to uh, Houston, I'll be able to try and alleviate, let her sleep in a little bit. But that is one of the more amazing things to me is that in order to play volleyball this early in the season, school just started. You've got to drop the kids off at 530. They have an hour practice and then they get you know cleaned up and go to school. But it's, it's pretty amazing how, you know, the dynamic of freshman, sophomore, junior, senior or freshman, junior varsity, varsity, how you, you try to work to that elite level so that you can go to practice after school and not be abused by going to practice at five 30 in the morning, man. Yeah. I think like basketball and, uh, and, and I don't know, baseball a little bit as well, but you spend your whole life playing sports. Um, you know, you'll shoot on that basketball hoop. That's a little bit bent with a, you know, no net or a chain on it. And you're just out there and then you finally get to a better level to your point. And now you, you know, you're playing indoors at the gym in the right time. And so I, I think that's kind of, um, it's kind of sports way of hazing you, right? The uh, team doesn't have to haze you. You got to go out and you got to earn your keep. And I think, uh, you know, 528 AM, it sounds like the weather is actually really good at that point. So, you know, it's probably really easy to get high school girls up at uh, 5 AM to get to volleyball practice every single day. You're going to have a, you're going to have a blast doing that in a month. Oh, well, yeah, the hard part is they are, they're actually motivated. They love the sport of volleyball. So I'm very lucky in the sense that they do want to play. They do wake up, they set their alarms and go. But the problem is there's mornings where mom and dad are, you know, in the, in the bedroom when they hear the rustling in the kitchen and everybody getting ready for the day where we kind of sit there and all of a sudden, you know, I want to roll over and, you know, elbow my wife and go, okay, rock, scissors, paper for who takes them. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I try and figure it out. That's the hardest part, but, uh, you know, as parents, we've got to encourage them to to go and, and and play that sport. When did the rock, paper, scissors start? Like, I mean, doesn't your wife at least, all right, you have three weeks, it's all you. And then that makes up for the time that you've been traveling during the season. And now rock, paper, scissors starts like three weeks in, or do you just elbow her first day, day one, you get back from Oakland, rock, paper, scissors starts that day, because she might not be willing to play. I'm not sure. Man, dude, you are killing me. And I'm not, my wife listens to the podcast and here Tuttle throwing me under the bus instantly, dude. What's wrong with you, man? 
thought we were on the same team. You didn't tell me. You didn't tell me she listened to the podcast. Uh oh, I'm oh, in trouble. Dude. Yeah, that's gonna cost you. Yeah, no, you're right. I may have to wait until maybe two weeks into the off season before I can start, you know, negotiating uh, who picks up and who takes and who, who does all that kind of stuff. But um, I'll have a driver by the end of the year. Maybe I can, you know, milk this thing and until that driver gets ready to take everybody to school, which is interesting. But dang you, man. Give me the guilt trip. I'm st I'm staying at these posh hotels. I'm I'm relaxed. Everything's going good. All I got to do is read on Instagram how early my wife's waking up, and now you're now you're giving me the guilt trip. Now I got to go home, wake up at five thirty, drop the kids off, and call a game that night. Man, life is rough, dude. Hey, so we've established that life is rough for you, right? You fly across country and you <laughs> golf after the home run derby and all that. Um, you know, hey, let me let me try and um backtrack a little bit here you're the one working right you're out here working on the west coast and uh quote yeah unquote. working yeah quote unquote so when you fly back home just say hey you know i've been i've been out there for 10 days you know in the salt mines doing my job so you know you can continue to take the kids to school honey and uh and uh see how that flies see how that argument flies too right <laughs> Well, and then I can use the West Coast, uh, you know, theory in, in, you know, the time changes. We went East Coast to Central. Now we're on the left coast and the time now. So if the, if the girls are waking up at 530, babe, 5.30 a.m., I just got back from Oakland. It's That's 3.30 my time. I don't know if I'm going to be able to adjust. It's going to make it so much harder on me. You know how that's going to go. That's going to be like, I might as well just ran my head into a brick wall, man, because that's not going to carry too much weight, I don't think. No, problem solved. We did it right there. It's 3.30 your time when you get home, so you got to stick there with that. Yeah, yeah. look at you backtracking, trying to bail yourself out. Hey. But school is starting, and what do you got? No, nothing. It's been it's been a while since I've been in the clubhouse, man. I threw you under the bus. I got to I got to remember what happens in the clubhouse stays in the in the clubhouse. Just like this podcast, I, uh, you know, whatever. I'm out <laughs> of practice, my friend. Out of practice. It's all good. No, it's the reality of life and the reality of being a parent. And I'm sure that's what hopefully a lot of people who listen to this podcast understand is that as much as we played, as much as we enjoy the games and talking about sports, the underlying foundation of both of our lives right now is family and trying to create an atmosphere where we can not only encourage our kids to do better, but also give our spouses a little bit of a break and, and help them get through what is the struggle of life and we also got to give a shout out to teachers. I'm not sure if you have a favorite teacher in your in the course of of you going to school, but John Gottbrick was a guy who coached football and also was a math teacher when I was in high school. So with all the teachers going back to school and prepping our kids and and helping them learn and encouraging them to do better in school, maybe give a little bit of a shout out to John Gottbrick back at Chino High School in Southern California. Um, I, I suck at math. If you listen to our broadcast, you know that I absolutely suck at math. I hate it, and I defer everything to Todd Callis because he he's a wizard with it. I understand numbers, but putting them together kills me. And it was my sophomore year where I think I got a D in geometry, and I struggled with it, and I had to take summer school. And it just so happened that John Goprick was teaching summer school, and he did it in such a way where it, I just latched on, grabbed it, ace the tests eventually got to be in that class and pass but it really helped me kind of get past or over the hump with the math situation but total was school coming back and i you know i didn't even prep you before this but i hopefully I, I talked long enough and stalled long enough to give you an idea of who you might you know want to give kudos to for your schooling but uh, for me it was john goprick out at chino high school Tuttle, is there anybody in specifically that you want to uh, recognize for helping you get through school 
I had a couple of really good teachers. Uh, my sixth grade teacher in uh, Stanford, Connecticut, uh, Brennan, Mr. Brennan. Why can't I remember? His, I think his name was Jim. But we didn't call our, you know, we didn't have to know our teacher's first name when I was 11 or 12 years old. Mr. Brennan was awesome. And Mr. Brennan's, I, I got two, so uh, I'll get to that one. But Mr. Brennan, every Friday, we had the class have to get up and do something in front of the class. Like he's like, you know, one of the biggest fears, as you know, uh, is public speaking. So similar to Toastmasters, I mean, this is a long time ago. I'm, I'm older than you are. I'm about to be 50 here. So sixth grade, like, I don't know, it's like 35 years ago. So 35, 37 years ago, this guy had us on every Friday. All right, we're going down to the auditorium. You guys either got to read a poem or, you know, recite a speech, or you guys could do a lip sync if you want. So I, I cheated a little bit. There was this one girl in our class who would love this story. This is almost like a Tales from the Bench, Tales from Tuttle's uh, uh, elementary school. So I love it. We're, we're getting in deep there we here. Go. Yeah, we Tuttle. are. And you didn't prep me, too. It just came up. So this girl was a Pat Benatar fan. So she could do all the lip syncing for all the Pat Benatar songs. Hey, you're cracking up, but it was great. So we would volunteer as quickly as we could. Like, I'll be the drummer and like, okay, I'll be the guitarist. And then they would just pipe this Pat Benatar song and this girl would just go on the stage and she would, you know, lip sync, hit me with your best shot or anything else. Like hell is for children, all those songs. And uh, I mean, you know, really uplifting, like heartwarming songs. And, uh, and we would just sit back there. And I remember Mr. Brennan critiquing me. I'm like playing the drums and I'm like trying to listen. And I'm like, this. he's like, you guys are, it's, you're copping out back there. Like, you know, you're just kind of air drumming and you get off, you get off the, uh, you get off the, the scot-free essentially from having to get up and speak in front of the class. But, uh, Mr. Brennan was awesome. I mean, he, he knew that life lessons were important. I also had our, our high school football coach. I happened to play football. I don't think you touched on whether your math teacher, if you played football or not. Were you playing football for your math teacher? No, no, dude. I was. Oh, okay. uh, I, I was built like a fungo. I would have been hurt. Mm. I was built like a fungo, and I still played football. So shame on me. But uh, our our head football coach, and we had a good varsity football team, was also a math teacher. And my thing was, my brother was always taking uh, honors math. So every year, he's a year younger than I am. I'm in the same math class as my brother and uh, my football coach, although he was great, I think he was a good math teacher and he helped me through it. Um, he would just give me more grief that my brother, who's a year younger, is in the same math class. So I had to deal with that for two years. You know, I'm taking geometry from the guy and my brother's a freshman and he's in geometry and then I'm taking trigonometry and I'm a senior and he's a junior and he's in the same class. I'm like, wait a second. So, but both those guys, Mr. Brennan, Jim Brennan, uh, back in Stanford, Connecticut, and then uh, Butch Catalico at Los Gatos High School. He's a head football coach up until, I don't know, about five years ago. Great guy. So definitely uh, shout out to the teachers and schools back in session. And uh, hopefully our kids have the same experience that we had, right? Absolutely. Hopefully there are, and I'm sure there are, because, uh, you know, that that's where they're being molded. And hopefully they are in a situation to be able to get some of that good teaching and help them get past some of the struggles that they find, whether it be air drumming or mathematics, uh, you know, getting out there in front of people. And Tuttle obviously got over that, uh, that fear of being in the public eye because he's on this podcast, Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum. My buddy David Tuttle is on the other end out there on the left coast. He's with me, actually. We're on the same time zone now that I'm in Oakland. He's in Southern California. But 
make sure that you get on to Twitter and Instagram. You can get out and make a comment, talk to David Tuttle at real David Tuttle on Twitter and Instagram and myself, Jeff Blum. You can reach me on Twitter at Blummer27 and on Instagram at Blummer27. We try and keep it easy on you. We like the interaction. Tuttle's been a little more active on Twitter, which is good to see. And he's always got that hashtag TQOD that he is patented and made his own because it is Tuttle quote of the day. And he's done a good job motivating a lot of people out there too. He does a good job chiming in on some of the tweets that are out there also making fun of my mullet. Uh, I did have a little bit of hair growth in that video that you, or that picture that you did see on the internet, Tuttle. But uh, if if I took my helmet off at that moment during that picture you were, you were looking at, it would have sounded like this. Because I had a massive afro at the time. It was, uh, it was uncontrollable. And I think instead, because I can't grow a beard in the playoffs and it was during the playoffs. So I just decided to grow the flow out and it was massive. But you, you definitely noticed there was a little extra coming out the back. Yeah, I'm, I I was not afraid to have the mullet. I think uh, as we've talked about, I'm a little older than you are, so there was the you know the short top, long back, the STLB. That was my favorite hairstyle, which became the mullet. And uh, we wore baseball hats all the time, right? Growing up, that's all we were doing because we were on the field all the mm -hmm. time. So you had to have the flow going. So uh, yeah, it looked like you uh, you had a like a baby mullet, but I thought it was uh, appropriate for uh, for the time because that was your playoff mullet and. Uh, Obviously, got you a W, got you a nice pinch hit W. So, what do you, what do you got to say about that? I think we're going to leave it at that, Tuttle. It, it, you know, it, since we peeled off that scab, that picture obviously was from the 2005 World Series. But since we peeled that scab off, we're going to go back in time during this road trip, and I want to go back to the the most recent podcast that we had, where it was Bleacher Blums After Dark, and Tuttle and I were getting a little little tipsy, having some some brews and a, and a couple of drinks. And Tuttle said something that kind of jumped out at me about the Houston Astros and how good they are and how they should just run the gauntlet and be able to smash everybody. And he kind of mentioned that there might be a little bit of concern about the back end of the bullpen. And lo and behold, before we talked, there, was, there were two games that were blown in the back end of the bullpen. And then lo and behold, we go into a situation in Baltimore. And the Astros, the day before on Saturday, outscored their opponent 23-2. to The next day, they come out, they're playing from behind, eventually come back and, and, and get themselves in a position to close out the series against the Baltimore Orioles. And Roberto Osuna, the closer for the Astros, comes in. And it was kind of a unique situation. And, you know, just to really confuse everybody, earlier in the game, the Baltimore Orioles hit Alex Bregman in the left, left scap in the shoulder blade. And the Astros didn't take kindly to that. And they figured, you know, you hit one of our best players. I don't care how wild or how young your pitchers are. You shouldn't be getting that close to one of our guys and hitting him as hard as you did. So Osuna took that into account. And in that ball game, after a runner uh, got a base hit, got to third base, a chance Cisco comes up and Osuna hits him in the left in one of the in the leg somewhere. And during the broadcast, I had kind of said, I'm okay with it. And I want to clarify what I was talking about when I said I was okay with it. The reason I was okay with it is because I thought it was okay to hit the ball player because you hit one of the best players on our team. Your team is struggling, you're out of control. It's time to go, hey, rein things in. Stop hitting our guys because we're trying to make a playoff run and you're starting to hit some of our guys. So I understood it and I was okay with it in that sense where you kind of sent the message like, hey, back it down. And the umpires did a good job too. They allowed Osuna to hit the guy. Uh, 
but I just don't like the situation. I wasn't okay with the situation. I was okay with the thought process because you're putting a runner on in a situation where the game is on the line. It's a little bit tighter ball game. A run came in on a sacrifice fly. Chance Cisco's on first base. And then Osuna proceeds to go up and give up a home run to Rio Ruiz. And there's a lot going on in this situation, but he gave up a game-winning home run. And Tuttle had called it earlier, said there might be a little bit of concern with the back end of the bullpen. But the issue I have with the Rio Ruiz at bat, four straight change-ups in a row. I don't care if the guy is on the last-place team, the 15th-place team, or the first-place team. A big league hitter that sees four pitches in a row, you better be incredibly nasty with them, and you better not throw it out over the plate. But he hung a change-up. And credit Rio Ruiz for getting a hold of it and smashing it out of there for a walk-off home run. And I'll get to something a little bit later when Tuttle gets done talking about this, where uh, he also made history. Yeah, so I, I think our discussion really uh, had started with Kenley Jansen and uh, Osuna and the closers and the mentality of bullpen guys. And I think what I have been seeing with Kenley Jansen is his stuff is off which is actually creating um, not just a chink in the armor, but uh, a less confident closer when your stuff is down. With Osuna, we talked about that. We don't see that uh, decline in his stuff. He's a four or five pitch guy. If he's running, you know, two seam and four seam, his velocity's there. But those last three outs, the back end of the bullpen we saw with Presley yesterday, those last six outs, it's a, it's really a mentality. And this you know, similar to hot streaks and cold streaks, I'm not as worried about the Astros. I thought they may have some concerns, but I feel like, you know, you guys have some time, a month and a half, two months to get this right. But the stuff is there. It's really about uh, mentality. And I think you mentioned that La Pina or uh, Guriel hit a home run off Kenley Jansen and, you know, kind of at least made the uh, Dodgers bullpen feel like that they're, you know, they weren't invincible and that mentality is there. Um it was uh, it was Marwin Gonzalez. Oh, Marwin. I'm sorry. Yeah, the yep. now the twin. So, uh, but 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 nonetheless, I think we talked about that uh, ad nauseum. I think uh, in the 2017 season when you guys actually won the World Series, Ken Giles was your closer. He had a really good year. He started in the uh, he started in the playoffs, just struggling to get outs. And guess what? He wasn't the closer in the playoffs. He got a World Series ring. He helped that team immensely get to where they needed to get. But AJ was not going to fool around like with those last three outs in the games. I mean, I, I believe Charlie Morton came in a few games and they had uh, uh, Davinsky, right? He had a hot streak in 2017. Go ahead. And Lance McCullers. McCullers came out of the bullpen with his curveball. You're right. So all of these guys contributed, and that's what you need to do at the end. You're going to put your most confident guys out there. And and I appreciate that AJ's not afraid to do that. So I, I guess on the last podcast, although I had a couple beers, I wasn't trying to say that the Astros um, need to make changes necessarily. But as you know, going into the playoffs, the mentality has to be there. And I, I had an experience like that when I was pitching as well. I, I kept throwing my two-seamer to a guy, and I must have thrown him four, five, six two-seamers. And I, he just was taking terrible swings. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep hammering it in there. Well, guess what he did? You know, with a guy on second, he finally got his hands in and hit one, a double in the gap. And, you know, my pitching coach basically said, dude, you cannot throw him seven two-seamers in a row. It doesn't matter. And I think, um, I'm well, I think, 
I don't know, but I'm assuming Osuna will learn from that. I watched that at bat, and Osuna's changeup was really good. I mean, his changeup was nasty. He had the guy out in front, out in front, fouling it off. And to your point, he was nibbling with it. But you cannot hang a changeup, especially on the fourth or fifth changeup in a crucial at bat. And uh, and that's just the way it goes. But they, I'm less worried about his stuff, and, and I'm sure AJ is too. But Presley and Osuna and any of those back-end guys just need to be confident going out there to get those last outs. Yeah, and fortunately, you know, teams that, like the Astros who have, you know, a 9.5-10 game lead in the American League West, there's going to be hiccups, and it's frustrating to lose to one of the worst teams in baseball in the Baltimore Orioles. You know, but you, Tuttle is great about kind of getting to the mentality of it because you do have to alter your mentality. You can go out there and rely on your stuff for so long until until guys start to match up with it and then you've got to be able to mentally adjust off that and you know total knows this too as a pitcher you're feeling good with a pitch and like he said the changeup did look good but at the same time the there's a little bit on the catcher for me also that needs to recognize the situation and maybe recognize maybe a swing that the pitcher isn't seeing and saying okay we threw three great changeups. He fouled off that last one, and I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the, the swing that he took with it. Why don't we mix it up? And Osuna, like Tuttle said, is a guy who has four or five pitches. You know, he pulls off uh, velocity on his fastball. He quick pitches. He hesitates, you know, with the leg kick. There's so many different options out there, and that's why I felt going four times of the changeup really set up the opportunity for Ruiz to get a, get a hit, not necessarily a, a walk-off home run because the pitch was bad, but – you know, the the speed and the eyes and the hands of the hitter get in a little bit of a rhythm when they're seeing that pitch four times in a row. And it would have been nice to see him maybe ramp up, throw a pitch out of the zone with a fastball, speed his eyes up, you know, get him to check his swing a little bit or make him question the sequencing of the pitches that are coming in there because Ruiz got really comfortable on that. Expound on that a little bit. So basically, you've seen three changeups in a row. You're up there. You're batting left-handed. You're thinking, you know what, he might come back here with a fastball, but your brain and your hands and your head, your, I guess the brain and head is the same, but your, your, your swing pattern, your swing timing is, is still on that changeup because that's what you've seen three times in a row. So even if Ruiz was thinking fastball in that moment, that's why it's kind of like that spinning slider, you know, a hanging changeup. Mm -hmm. He might have been going, all right, so, I mean, it, it, just explain that a little further, like, it doesn't really matter if the if the guy's guessing along with you, correct? Yeah. So the first change, let's go, let's just go pitch by pitch on the four changeups. So the first pitch, you know, was a nasty changeup, and as a hitter, I'm thinking fastball away because I know he can touch 98. So mentally, I'm gearing up quicker. My hands are going to get back a little bit sooner. My foot's going to get down quicker so that I'm ready to attack 98 miles an hour. He throws a changeup, and I take a wild swing over the top, and I go, man, that was a good pitch. But in my brain. It is, it's calculating the changeup that I just saw out of his hand. Did I pick up the rotation early enough? My hands were back, but I just fired too soon. So he eventually got another changeup and fouled it off, but he was still probably ready for the fastball going, what if he throws a fastball, but he's back. And, he and the brain worked quick enough to recognize the changeup to keep the hands back long enough to foul it off. The third changeup comes in. I have now seen that pitch twice. And I almost got to that second changeup. And it, this one flutters a little bit up in the zone, but I recognize it so early and I've seen it twice that my hands already, I don't have to tell my hands how to react. My hands are reacting to what I've seen previously. And I foul it off and I take a pretty good swing and I have a little bit better finish to it 
and it's not a panicked reactionary type swing. It's a recognition swing. So I step out and that fourth time as a hitter, I've, I don't think I've ever seen the, you know, other than maybe, you know, three fastballs out of the zone and then the 3-0 fastball in the zone. That's probably the only time you're going to see four pitches of the same pitch in a row. But he steps back in, whether it be a 1-2, two, 2-2 two, two count. I'm still going, man, I've just seen three changeups. I've taken a good swing at it. So I'm in, I'm in a no panic state of mind on that changeup. If I recognize it down, I'm going to let it go. If I recognize it up, I'm going to let it fly. So I'm getting ready again. I'm saying there's no way he throws it four times in a row. So I get myself ready for the fastball away, maybe something a little bit more firm because that's what pitchers like to do is throw is speed things up after slowing the hands down with the off speed. So mentally, I would imagine Rio is thinking about maybe a firm fastball away, lay off it up out of the zone. But if I'm looking fastball away, I'm just going to lay the barrel on it, go the other way with it in a two strike count. And that as a hitter tells me, I'm going to let the ball travel a little bit more, try and see the ball a little bit longer. So here I am, hands ready, foot down, and oh my gosh, I recognize the rotation and it's in a spot that is not down and it's going to be a strike. And he unloaded on it. But that's kind of the mentality and the repetition of seeing that pitch that many times in a row helps the hitter get their hands in a better position. And, and it takes, it literally takes the mind out of it because it's such a reactionary type situation where you recognize and you drop the head on it. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent explanation. And I think that's exactly right. When, when you are reacting as an athlete, as opposed to thinking, I always go back to basketball. I never played basketball, but I went to a basketball camp with my buddies, you know, like the, uh, too little too late kind of basketball camp and you're in there and they're like explaining all right we're gonna you know two guys on the low post one two guys up here and then this guy comes down he goes over here and you're it's almost like running a play and then after you get the play down then you start you know now you're in motion now everybody's moving and they know what they're supposed to do and if this guy comes over you pass the ball i mean all those kind of things um have to take place. And like you said, it doesn't even matter how good of a hitter he is. He's a big league hitter. And all of a sudden he's, you know, you just see that white little pill and it's on the inner half and you're like, great. It almost doesn't matter the speed and he smashed it. So, uh, you know, hopefully Osuna doesn't, uh, let that get under his craw. Um, you know, like I said, we've talked about this, the, the mental part, especially heading into the playoffs is the key piece to the puzzle. So, uh, you know, if he gets right by then, then uh, then the Astros have nothing to worry about. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I have no problem with him still being the closer. It's it's a work in progress. He's had a lot of success. It's just, you know, continue the success, but also continue to learn and adapt to the situations. And I think that's a big deal for him. But it's also a big deal for the catchers, too. They've got to recognize situations and hitters. And, you know, even though the scouting report says you've got to throw this pitch, maybe a swing can you know, call the audible and move to a different pitch and maybe be successful with that. But another thing that was interesting about that ball game for me, and I'm not a big gambler on baseball, obviously, even though I might have a, have a, have an advantage in knowing some of the knowledge that I have about not just the numbers, but also maybe the players and how they're feeling that day. But uh, I saw a line on there and it said it was that game on Sunday when Ruiz for the Baltimore Orioles hit the home run off the Houston Astros to win it, that was the biggest upset to that point in the season in baseball. And it was at a negative four, or a minus 460. And Tuttle, you are a little more uh, uh, knowledgeable in the betting situation. And I was just kind of curious if you could explain to me what that meant 
as far as a negative 460 and maybe some of the viewer, I mean, some of the viewers, some of the listeners will appreciate it too. Hey, you're used to being on TV. This is viewers, but remember we got, we got a face <laughs> for a podcast here. Yeah. So minus True. 460, that's easy. If you listen to uh, XM radio, they now have a Vegas lines thing that Brent Musburger, it's called uh, VSIN. I think it's the Vegas insiders network, but that's a fun, uh, fun listen for anybody that's kind of interested in gambling. Um, that's out of the uh, South Point Casino in Vegas, and Brent Musburger's on there quite a bit. So, a little plug for them. Maybe they'll sponsor the podcast as well. But um, so minus, minus four sixty. They oh, the reason I brought them up is they like to use dollars. So that's basically four dollars and sixty cents is the way they say it. I like to use hundreds. It's fine. But basically, to win that game, if you're betting on the Astros, you would have had to bet four dollars and sixty cents to win a dollar. Or in my terms, you'd have to bet $460 to win your 100 So you, I, for me as a gambler, I'd rather lay the 100 to win 460 So basically, if you were betting on the Orioles and you put them, you laid down your $100 bet, you won $460 when Ruiz hit that home run. But it's the, it's, you know, and, and some of those odds, it's not usually, it's not always the same odds, meaning for the Astros, for the Orioles, it might have been plus 350, and for the Astros, it might have been minus 460. That's another little slight of the gambling um, gambling world where they kind of they want even money on both sides. But typically, um, a friend of mine did this a couple of years ago, which is so silly. Talk about degenerate gambling. I don't hang out with many degenerate gamblers, but um, The Fighter, the movie The Fighter, uh, Christian Bale was up for Best Supporting Actor. It was a thousand, I think it was twelve hundred dollars to win a hundred, but he was like a ninety-nine percent chance shoe in to win best supporting actor at the Oscars. Um, my buddy bet twelve hundred dollars to win a hundred dollars and he won. So I don't think I'd want to put that at risk, right? It's not it's not it's not the way I roll, but uh, hopefully that makes sense, right? So if you're a huge Astros fan and you know they're gonna win that game, you basically go up to the betting window or whatever sort of online betting account that you have and you you put $460 up to win your $100. Makes sense, right? It does now. I appreciate that. I'm going to look yeah. at ball games a little bit differently, but uh is now just a side note, does this does the same thing happen in the NFL? Yes, yes. So college football will have that. So there's always okay. the point spread, so like when Michigan plays Appalachian State, right? It's like a 30 so they just use the point spread. It's like minus 28 points for Michigan or plus 28 for Appy State. And if you want to bet that money line, so money line takes the point spread out, it would be something very similar, meaning Appy State to win would be like plus 550. And, you know, Michigan would be minus 500, let's say. And that would be the same thing. You'd have to bet $500 to win $100 for Michigan to win, right? So it makes sense. That's outstanding. And with the college football season, the NFL season coming up, you can anticipate that we may have some more talks about that, maybe make some of our own picks and have some fun because it creates the good banter. And, and, and like Tuttle said earlier, man, the clubhouse is where you start ragging on guys, throw them under the bus and have some fun with it at the same time. So that might be a good time or a good topic to talk about. Yeah, speaking of football, you guys, uh, we got to the Asuna game right away, but you guys won 23-2 to two the day before, and I was wondering if you guys fired the kicker because he missed the extra point, right? 24-2 <laughs> to two would have been much better. You guys, we, we didn't talk about whether they sent the kicker down to AAA until you can bring the kicker back up. I thought that was funny. There's a football score for you. 
No, and and how about the you know in Vegas, you know they would have fired the kicker or found a way to get him out of the game too because he kills a kills a points point spread or he kills the over under because you're right with the 23 points that was definitely a football score and I made the comment on the broadcast that night or the next day that uh, the the that was also the first week of preseason games in the NFL. And with the 23 runs that the Astros scored, they outscored, I think, 16 NFL teams that, that day, including scoring 23 more runs or points, if you want to call them that, than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who said you're not good with math? I hope that math teacher's listening. I mean, you are really good with numbers, Blummer, and I'm impressed. That's all that matters. I'm just trying to impress you, Tuttle. Uh, that was a lot of good banter about the Astros. It's been a rough week with them, for them. They split the series, or they lost uh, the series to the Chicago White Sox, kind of limping into the American League West with the Oakland Athletics, where we're at right now. But I just want to get send out a quick note that the 2020 schedule, next year's Astros schedule, is up. They open at home against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, I guess is how you finish it off. And then the first trip to Texas in their new stadium will be on April 10th. So mark your calendars on that. Make sure you go to Astros.com and click on the schedule to kind of plan for that. Next year, they will be playing their interleague series against the National League East. And I think the Yankees, the Yankees, the Mets, the Phillies, and I can't remember the other team that is coming to us, but Nationals. interesting schedule. Sorry. Nationals, maybe Washington Nationals. You know what? I actually looked that up. And how about this for for timing? They do play the Washington Nationals, but it's going to be in Washington, D.C. during July 4th. So that should be a pretty exciting time, huh? Yeah, unless you're Dave Tuttle and you have to listen to like 900 fireworks shows. <laughs> yes, Tuttle and the fireworks. Damn it. I hate those things. And it's going to be extra special out there. I may have to take some Instagram videos or video just to put on my Twitter account and make sure that I tag you in it so you get thoroughly annoyed by the, the epic events of the 4th of July in the nation's capital. And at this moment, this is something new in our podcast. We, Tuttle and I, Bleacher Blums, are proud to bring on our first sponsor. They're a local business in Houston. We are greatly appreciative of Just Geek It solutions and get how the it is in this it's it so they are an it and computer repair com company located in houston texas they have over 40 years in providing excellent customer service so if you're having issues with your it or computer make sure you check out just geek it solutions they provide same day service for those seeking computer repair server repair network service laptop repair service virus removal custom computer builds which I think they're actually going to help us out with a website to get some things up. So we've got an exciting future planned for Bleacher Blums, and we're glad to have Just Geek It Solutions with us. They handle thousands of business clients as well as residential customers. See why they are the best computer repair company in Houston? Call 281-826-4357, or you can visit them on the web at JustGeekItSolutions.com. Business is done, and we are grateful to have Just Geek It Solutions on board, but that leads us into our next segment. It is time to get real. What'll Tuttle say?
Sam, what'll Tuttle say? Uh, I got a couple of things. We're going to go maybe one little baseball topic and then one for fun topic. But uh, I promised you, well, you made me promise you to give you a Kershaw update or a Dodgers update. So I've been doing my homework. I've been scouting the Dodgers. Their offense looks pretty good, by the way. (laughs) Newsflash. Every every night I get on there, I'm like, oh, it's four nothing in the second inning. Like, oh my gosh. And then I looked yesterday. I guess the Astros do this too. But when you look at their scoring, it's like homered, you know, Justin Turner homered, Bellinger homered, uh, you know, then so and so singled in two runs and then another dude homered, Jock Peterson homered. It's like, oh my gosh. They're just, you know, every time the ball's leaving the yard, we've already talked about that ad nauseum why it's leaving the yard, but man. Four nothing in the second inning, seven to one in the fifth inning. So the Astros may have to worry about the Dodgers offense a little bit. Uh, we talked about Ryu and Walker Bueller, but uh, Kershaw is dealing. I think last time we spoke, he was uh, 10 and two with a two eight. He is now 12 and two with a two six three uh, as kind of their number two starter, number two, two and a half starter, three starter. And, um, Yesterday, he punched out the first seven guys of the game, ended with 11 strikeouts, seven scoreless innings, and looked really good. So, um, you know, I'm not going to bring be the bearer of bad tidings, I guess, necessarily. But uh, I guess the Astros know that they have the Yankees and the Dodgers on the horizon if things keep going the way they're going. And uh, it's interesting to have a, a potential Hall of Famer flying under the radar, as we discussed. So I'm going to keep the uh, Dodgers... At least since I'm in charge of the left coast stuff, I'm going to keep him in the forefront. Um, the Giants, on the other hand, have kind of kind of flattened out again. Bumgarner's dealing, and that was the reason they kept him at the you know the trade deadline, and they wanted to kind of make a run for it. But nobody else is holding up their end of the bargain, so they're they're struggling a little bit. They lost to the A's yesterday, where you are now. They lost nine to five. So anyway, that's your Clayton Kershaw update. Let me jump into my first topic, really, for what'll Tuttle say, and that is we keep talking about on this podcast old school and new school. The news that hit me this week, and I'm old school. I like the uh, you know as long as you hit the guy in the right spot and you know he takes his base, then uh, things are settled. Uh, I like kind of a little more uh, every once in a while you can bunt the guy over. I like pitching. I like defense. I'm not necessarily the long ball guy, even though chicks dig the long ball. Um, the Mets hired Phil Regan as their pitching coach, and the Phillies hired Charlie Manuel as either bench coach or hitting coach. Let me, I can look that up. Apparently. Oh, hitting coach. Charlie Manuel, 75. Phil Regan is 82. So what in the hell is going on in modern day Major League Baseball? I think most of the conversations, especially when Moneyball came out, were that, you know, hey, we're going to get some Yale, Harvard guys in here. And uh, although we already touched on the fact that you and I are mathematicians, these guys crunch the numbers. They look at baseball in a different way, and you can kind of combine it with the old school baseball mentality. Um, my mom is 76. Let me just repeat that. Phil Regan's 82 years old. That doesn't mean that he can't be a consultant and understand uh, pitching um, because that's what he's done his entire life. But I also realize, like, I mean, it, it probably takes him an hour to get out to the mound and back. I can't even imagine how many times he has to go to the bathroom during the game, you know? 
the prostate issues. I just, I just, I guess the overall question when I bring this up is that I don't know if these guys are putting like new life into the uh, organization or they're just hanging on by their teeth. And I, I, I don't understand it. I'm a little confused and maybe you could set, shed some light on that. I just, it doesn't really make sense to bring in an 82 year old pitching coach and a 75 year old hitting coach. I know Charlie Manuel helped the Phillies win a world series and I don't know, I, I living in the past, uh, doesn't typically work well. I mean, in, in, the modern day NBA, we talk about how, you know, three pointers and, you know, this high, high, you know, kind of this hybrid offense and getting new blood in, you know, in terms of coaches in there, the NFL is the same thing. Sean McVay is like the, you know, the greatest thing since sliced, sliced bread. And obviously Bill Belichick's been doing things the same way for a long time, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Chuck Knox is coming back to coach the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's what this reminds me of. And or Tom Landry, one of my favorite coaches of all time. I'm just a little confused. So it's kind of the Weddle Tuttle say rant on, you know, I guess I'm ageist, <laughs> but I don't know what an 82 year old pitching coach is going to do for the Mets. If I were Callaway, Mickey Callaway, I would not want my job dependent on how successful the 82 year old pitching coach is. <laughs> Tuttle, Tuttle, you are an ageist. Man, can't believe you're so discriminatory towards the old farts that are out there. And that's, uh, you know, that's when Tuttle and I were coming up. I mean, that was, it, it was the old regime that ran everything. They were the, the know-it-alls. They were the ones pushing the buttons. And the game has definitely changed, and it's definitely turned towards the younger side. And, and to, the, to the point where GMs are now in their 40s, and everybody working for the GM is in their you know, teens and twenties, uh, crunching numbers and trying to figure out the next algorithm that's going to create the the next Houston Astros ball club. And you know what? I'm actually in a unique spot with the Houston Astros because Brent Strom, who I believe is in his early seventies, is the pitching coach for the Houston Astros, and he has done one of the better jobs around the league. So who's to say that other teams aren't recognizing that you can have that, you know, that guy who you just pull out of Jurassic Park? and put him with some new analytics and turn him into the bionic man with some numbers and help him translate a little bit. Because I think Brent Strom is really the guy who has blazed a trail between new school and old school and being able to adapt some of the, the new school ideas and numbers to an old school mentality of going out there and pitching. Now, the, the, the old school isn't necessarily coming to effect as far as pitch counts, but as far as how to pitch, I think, is what is more uh, you know, adaptable between the new school and old school. But it is kind of interesting to me that they are bringing in, you know, an 82-year-old pitching coach or a 75-year-old hitting coach where they're trying to bridge that gap a little bit. And I'm not sure if it's – maybe it's respect. Maybe it's when those guys step in. They have that that resume that says, I played for a long time, I coached for a long time, and now I'm here and look at me adjusting to the new numbers and how to help you become a better pitcher or a better hitter. But it is kind of an interesting trend where we all thought that the game was going to go extremely young with these, you know, pliable managers who are going to, you know, take ideas from the front office and put it into their lineups. And now we're seeing, you know, the whole old school mentality has always been rigidity. And I think that maybe they're trying to buck that trend a little bit and become a, mo a little more pliable and adapting to some of the numbers that are coming across. I think it's very interesting. I'm not sure if it's going to be effective. Only time will tell. But for the for the time being, on my side, watching what Brent Strom has done, who, by the way, was my double-A pitching coach 
back in 1997, 98, maybe when I was on a rehab assignment. So I've got a lot of love for Brent Strong, but he's definitely one of the guys who has, has pushed forward and pushed through that idea that you can't be one of the older guys who understands the new school mentality. That's a great point and a great example. I love that you uh, came up with Brent right away. Uh, my thought is I, I can fine tune it a little bit. So I, I don't know what Phil Regan's role was before this, and I guess I could look that up. But I think someone like Brent Strom's had success, and he's also around young guys. So this is that combination that you and I both enjoy, right? You have AJ, who's you know kind of a fresh new manager. Luno's not afraid to do some things, and they're kind of the new school, um, you know, adaptable, um, amenable guys to figure out how to work this. Brent Strom comes from old school. But he's also, I'm sure he's using iPads and, you know, scouting reports and, you know, he's, he's embracing what the new school is. The other thing is he's kind of, he's in that triumvirate, right? You know, with the manager, the pitching coach, the GM, the, you know, he's in the group. So the diversity in there is a good thing to bring to the table. That's, that's what we're saying. Phil Regan, or Charlie Manuel is a good example, I guess. Let me go to him. He's 75 years old. The Phillies had a big turnover this year. Half the guys on the team don't remember that Charlie Manuel was the manager when they won the World Series, and they're just going to bring this guy in almost like a figurehead and go, all right, Charlie Manuel, you're the hitting coach. If he were the hitting coach or the hitting coordinator and he brought these guys up and through the system and, you know, if Bryce Harper said, oh, yeah, I use Charlie Manuel in the offseason and he's my guy, you know, it's like, oh, great, let's bring him in because everybody knows he talks the talk and walks the walk. But I think just kind of bringing in these guys because – that, the, you know, they've been with the organization prior. I, I don't know. I mean, this kind of goes back more, forget being ageist, it goes back more to team chemistry. And we know that Brent Strom has had some success with the Astros. And I feel like, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be biased, I feel like he fits in well with what the Astros are doing. I just think, like I said already, if Mickey Calloway's job's on the line, which people think it is, um, you know, just if Phil Regan's going to inject kind of a new mentality with the pitching staff, then great, more power to them. I just kind of have a feeling that it, it, it's kind of an empty move, I guess, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's all to be determined, and you're right. Those are two organizations that are kind of not in turmoil, but they're definitely in maybe some rough seas a little bit. The Mets have made a good run since the All-Star break, since bringing on Phil Regan, so maybe there's something going on there. And uh, it was time for a change, I think, with uh, John Maley, who was the ex, now ex-hitting coach in Philadelphia. But, you know, with, with Brent Strom, Brent Strom had respect within the Society of Baseball before he became the pitching coach of the Houston Astros. And now he's really created a lot more respect with those younger guys that you're talking about, Tuttle. You know, so he's had to earn it a little bit. And I want the Charlie Manuel one is kind of interesting to me because, you know, they, these teams who are looking for identities, they tried to put it on these young guys. But, you know, are, are they trying to create a, a respect of their ball club by bringing on these older guys who have had established careers in the game? Because Charlie Manuel, for me, really brings a ton of respect to to the position and maybe back to the organization. I don't know. Maybe that has a little bit of something to do with it, too. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think what brings the ultimate respect is winning, as you know. <laughs> if they continue on the same slide, then, you know, 
I, I don't know. It just seemed like a last ditch effort. So that's that that was more the point than how old they are, right? It seemed like, hey, if we're gonna go down, let's you know, let's go down in flames. We're gonna bring back these guys that have had success with the organization. And that's 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 kind of the other point. I'm not trying to backtrack, but you know, Phil Regan's a great baseball guy. Like he's been around the game, he knows his stuff. I, uh, I, I, my analogy is my mom, I already brought her up. She's 76 years old. My dad used to work at IBM many, many, many years ago. Um, when computers first came out, you could like move the button over and hit the wrong button and you would delete all your data. Like, you know, it would just disappear. My mom has articulated that that's kind of her fear with computers. It's like nowadays everything's in the cloud. You can erase your phone and like reboot it and put all the stuff back on there. That, that's what I'm talking about, like old school and new school. Like you grow up in a certain era, you have certain thoughts, you may not be as adaptable or, or as amenable to these things. Phil Regan and Charlie Emanuel, great baseball folks, but it seems like, uh, like um, I don't know, trying to find a needle in a haystack to get those organizations to be successful. So we'll see. We'll see, right? I think you already brought it up. Only time will tell. Let me jump to the next subject. We can wear that one out the next time we're on this. Um, so this is the, uh, the next segment of what'll Tuttle say. Uh, I, I, I ranted last time after dark. Um, I'm going to rant again a little bit on uh, customer service. This is a battle between, uh, like corporate customer service versus people that own their own business customer service. The people I keep thinking of, we have a local coffee shop here. I know the owners really well awesome customer service there uh my landscaper even the guy that helps me do the yard uh awesome customer service he's the boss he's the ceo he's the chief he's everything and he wants your business the dry cleaner another person you get the best customer service at your dry cleaner the lady runs out hey mr tuttle it's so great to see you um try calling an 800 number these days uh, go to a fast food place that, uh, is, is highly corporatized and you get the worst customer service. My, I mean, can I get some more water? No worries. Be right over. No worries. No, not no worries. Oh, sure. Let me get that for you. And, uh, and I think part of this has to do with the cell phone era and part of it has to do with kind of being a little disengaged with, uh, people and interaction, but man, you know, I was raised to, you know, Older folks walk in the room, you hop out of your chair and offer your chair. You know, you look people in the eye, you give them a handshake. Uh, I think you and I agree on this stuff. But I, I'm just, once these things get brought to your attention, it's just, it's the worst. So I'm sorry to the listeners because now you guys are going to be paying attention even more. But, you know, people that own, own their own business, are their customer service is integral in them having success. And I think... You know, in the old days, you could write a letter and say, you know, I used your business for this and I was disappointed and blah, 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 blah. And they might write you back and say, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, we had an experience at a restaurant recently where they took forever at the, with the bill. I, I, and I do not like to complain, especially in a restaurant. We all know the, you know, don't send food back to the kitchen. You know, things may happen. But we, we made it. Yeah, there's repercussions. That's right. So we made a complaint. The bill took a long time. The The early service was good, but an hour and a half later with the whole kid, you know, the whole family there, we've been done for 20 minutes. Like, when can we leave? You haven't seen the waiter or waitress in a long time. Uh, and the manager came over and he threw a like gift card at us, basically. Like, oh, here, well, here's a gift card. I'm like, you know, 
that's great you gave us a 50 dollars gift card but with the service we got today i don't really want to come back like maybe i feel like i should just sell it so i think they throw money or throw um i don't know throw trinkets at the problem i guess or swag but that doesn't really solve the problem so i guess my rant today is a little bit about customer service and i'd like to see it improve and if i ever started my own business i think customer service would be the place where i would start yeah, customer service is paramount. I mean, it's all about getting, like you just hit on it. You know, you want, how do you get the customer to come back to your business? You treat them uh, the right way. You respect them. You're quick in the response. And if it doesn't work, you you do your best to try and rectify the situation. It's It's all about response time and quality of response, not necessarily how how many times or, you know, it's always that quality over quantity type conversation. You know, you've got to be able to treat everybody the same way. And it's kind of flipped a little bit. I agree with the, the, the part when you're, you know, everybody is in this digital world and now waiting tables or bartending or these, you know, these human interaction services that are out there. That's where it's kind of faltered a little bit. I feel too, is that, you know, everybody is 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 woke or triggered by a response you know whereas you're just like okay well i was just asking for an extra you know glass of water you know sorry on your time not my time i'm the one that's forking out the money for the for the food or the drink you know just whenever you're ready come back i'm sorry to upset you it, it shouldn't be that way i, I but it, it does have a lot to do with the digital world it, it hopefully it does change and hopefully we're just in that rough cycle where everybody's just kind of worried about themselves instead of how they treat each other and that's the ultimate goal is to treat that other person better than you treat yourself yeah and i'm as guilty as anybody i really liked uh we started this podcast i'm on twitter more than i was in the past but there's times uh, time and place for that i think a doctor's office is another place I see. You walk in and they have a little sign-in sheet and the MA can't even look up and they have their phone on the desk right next to them. And you know, they're just like, I mean, they just can't wait till you sign in and go sit down and then they're back to their phone. I mean, there's not a lot of uh, human interaction, like looking you in the eye and, and enjoying that experience. And I realize if you told the physician that or you told the office that, they would be super apologetic. They would try and, you know, I, I know they all have sort of, um, I don't know what, not we do modules, but, uh, you know, kind of like they'll have a Saturday morning or a Friday morning, uh, kind of conference on how to treat the customers. And this is what we want. This is what we expect, right. A managing expectations kind of thing. But, uh, I'm with you. I, I don't know if it's a lull or we're just grouchy old men, but, uh, I've been, I've been, I know we're grouchy old men, but I've been very aware of customer service lately. And I realized that, you know, when you own your own business and, uh, I mean, I get treated really well at places I go regularly where I'm in contact with the owner or the second in command. It's kind of as you trickle, trickle further down the, the chain that, uh, you can't really get people to look up and it's really difficult to kind of, and then, you know, like you said, that experience affects their business, right? I'm not going back there. That wasn't, that wasn't a good experience. So anyway, that's my rant on what'll Tuttle say and, uh, appreciate you chiming in. Yeah. Hopefully our idea of customer service and how good this podcast is spreads a little bit too, because we hope that everybody's enjoying it and is telling their friends and family about it because we're having a blast doing this. Good job on what'll Tuttle say. We are going to head right into Blum and Blummer. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. 
And on Blum and Blummer, I've got a couple of, uh, of stories. One of them is absolute astonishment and admiration. We're always talking about who the greatest athlete is ever. Who is the greatest athlete now? And something happened over the last week that really kind of jumped out at me. And I took the time to, to read into it a little bit because I don't understand the sport of gymnastics. And I do have a lot of respect. If it's on and it's the Olympics, I will watch, I will cheer. And I do, I try to understand what they're actually doing. But Simone Biles, she is a 22-year-old gymnast. She is all of four foot eight. And this also has a little bit of a Texas twist to it because she is from Spring, Texas, which is very close to downtown Houston. I've actually been at an event, the Houston Sports Award with Simone Biles, a phenomenal human being. And she's a woman. So I've got four girls and, you know, you kind of keep your ear open to, you know, when women are accomplishing something or doing something amazing. And over the past week, Simone Biles did something that no woman has ever done in competition. And she completed a triple twisting double somersault. That is the only third, only the third time it's been done in competition. And again, she is the only woman as of right now to have ever accomplished that. And I had heard a little bit about it. And then when it popped on Sports Center or one of the shows I was watching and I witnessed it, holy crap, I could not believe that a human was able to create so much power and create so much torque to be able to pull that stunt off and then land it because she looks like she's a good six, seven feet in the air and then just sticks it. So I was thoroughly impressed by that. And I read an article in the Washington Post and, you know, that's where I learned about she was the only woman ever to accomplish that. And then I also read something that said that she has not lost an all-around competition in six years. She's 22 years old. So she's been doing this since six, 16 years old. And we obviously know the Olympic uh, medals that she's pulled down. But what a phenomenal athlete. And for this moment, in this moment in time, I want to recognize Simone Biles in my mind, in my mind you guys can argue this, she is the greatest athlete at this moment did you see any of that Tuttle? i did see the uh the triple twisty flippy whatever that was but uh you know <laughs> I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because i think athlete you know we tend to want to say female athlete uh male athlete what she's accomplished is outstanding and and you can you know you already brought up you have four daughters i have two daughters and I and I've, I kind of had this conversation a couple months ago about somebody saying, gosh, your daughter, they said something like she doesn't throw like a girl. And I was always thinking, it's not the throw like a girl, or not throw like a girl. You either kind of, you've seen people run or jog or throw, or they either do it gracefully or correctly, or they don't. Um, and, you know, you some people are easier to coach than others. My daughter just throws the way she throws, right? But I try to teach her to throw the right way. So like, oh, she doesn't throw like a girl yet. Yeah, because she throws the ball. So I, I, I just, I don't like that. <laughs> to your point, I think. I don't like the categorization like that. I mean, Simone Biles, Serena Williams is another one where they always want to say she's the greatest female tennis mm -hmm. player. No, she, she might be the greatest tennis player to ever walk the planet. Now, the argument is, could she beat a male tennis player? That's not really the point because there's only a certain threshold you can get to. And she's, you know, she's done it all. She's essentially the greatest tennis player of all time. Um, yeah, Simone Biles, fantastic. I've seen her in the Olympics as well. Uh, it's great to hear that you've you've met her and uh, and she's, you know, great in person as well. Uh, the thing that always blows me away about those uh, gymnasts, especially, is how small they are. I mean, it's kind of like jockeys. 
I mean, you got to fit this mold. You you know, as a jockey, you have to be like five three and one hundred twenty pounds. As a as a gymnast, you can't be much taller than five two five three, and they're solid muscle, and they work really really hard at their craft. But what she's doing is, I mean, it's it's kind of an onslaught like no other. You know, she's taken six, like you said, she hasn't lost a competition in six years. That's not six competitions. That's probably if she, even if she does three high levels, national championships a year, I mean, she's probably won anywhere from 15 to 20 competitions in the last six years against the greatest, you know, gymnasts in the world. That's, it's an amazing feat. And uh, yeah, kudos to her for sure. Yeah, it's good to give Simone Biles some of that credit because, you know, the, the hard work, the dedication, the competitiveness, everything that goes into it is just such a great example of what you can go out there and do. And she has perfected it and continued success to Simone Biles. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. My choice for greatest athlete at this moment, and only time will tell too, she should come up in those conversations like you're talking about with Serena Williams and, and people like that because they have dominated their sport. And... This has been an interesting week for myself and the Houston Astros because we have played, we are on the brink of playing 10 games in 10 days. It started on the East Coast, it went through Chicago, and now we are in San Francisco slash Oakland. And it kind of, it, it made me think a little bit because I've had to unpack and unpack my bags, you know, three or four times now on this road trip. And the first road trip on the East Coast in Baltimore, I was very good about unpacking and hanging everything up. We get into Chicago and all hell broke loose. It looked like I took my bag and I dumped it upside down and I just kind of pulled things out of a pile to get dressed. Uh, and then I get here into Oakland and I'm a little bit tired. I, I mean, I took a couple of things out, maybe my dress shirts to kind of let them hang out a little bit. So when I get ready to iron them, I know what I'm doing. But you know, I'm a guy who when I at home, I keep the temperature at the right, right temperature for the family. Uh, I keep things in order, everything's in its place, I clean up after myself. I maybe don't burp or fart as often as I normally do. And it's amazing to me through the process of this road trip where I really sat down and went, dude, I'm an absolute mess when I'm by myself in my hotel room because I'm sloppy. I don't clean up after myself. I know the maid's going to come in and pick up the trash, which this sounds terrible. Um, I know that my, my clothes are going to be pushed into the corner. And we stay at some pretty nice hotels. I can only imagine what this poor maid is seeing when she comes into these rooms. But And, and then I turn the temperature down. I can look over right now at my temperature gauge, and it says 67. If I had 67 set at my house, I'd have five women in my room you know, trying to beat me upside the head and pin me down so they can turn it back up. So I'm not sure if anybody else has any, you know, hotel quirks or uh, things that they do when they're on the road that are so much drastic, you know, so much more drastic in difference than they do at home. But that was kind of my thought process, Tuttle. Do you have any gross, gnarly habits that you only let out when you're by yourself in a hotel room? Of course I do not. But <laughs> let me say this. I think you touched on a couple of really cool things. One is, I mean, think about how we lived when we were in college. And this isn't like, hey, I'm 20 or 21. But I mean, I, I live in a house now, like I said, with three women. So not five women, but, you know, there's five of us here. And I mean, I change the sheets every week. You know, my towel, I get a new fresh towel every every two or three days. You know, my wife's like, ah, your towel smells a little. Let's put that in the laundry. Like, great. You know how often I changed my sheets when I lived in college or how often my towel? I was like... 
Yeah, the towel still hangs. It still folds. I don't even need to wash that thing. I'm not going down to the laundromat. Like, this is all good. So I think what happens is, you know, now we've been married a little bit. Now you're, you know, you, you live a certain way at home. There's kind of that revert, revert, reverting back to, you know, just like, hey, I don't want to have this responsibility. Um, and then to take that another to another level, like uh, we went up to uh, Pismo Beach recently. But my wife, when we get there, the suitcase, the first thing she does is unpack her suitcase. Like she uses all the drawers and hangs all the stuff. I don't think I've ever done that. I've got an old baseball bag. It's a big, nice square bag. And I open that thing and I'm like, I knew my underwear over here, socks over here, pants. I, I just kind of file through it for a couple of days. And I just live out of that suitcase. It's great. Five days. My wife's like, are you going to use this drawer? You're going to use this hanger? I'm like, no, I'm just going to pull stuff out of the suitcase. So when I go on vacation, I, I kind of do that as well. So it's, it's different because you're, you know, you're working and I know you got to, I don't know, I was going to ask you if you iron, you already nailed that. So you bring three or four shirts or five shirts on a 10 day roadie. You got to, you got to iron a few times. So you have some other responsibilities, but yeah, I think it's okay to let yourself go when you're in a hotel. I don't know. That's, that's my, that's my style too. <laughs> I think, I think you're spot on in the sense that when you are in a hotel room by yourself, you do revert back to the dorm days where you are just a yard sale you know, you'd be like, where'd that t-shirt go? And it'd be just, you know, underneath that pile and you give it a quick whiff and be like, ah, that's good to go. I'll just fire a little, uh, uh, what, Drock Noir on it, or <laughs> whatever that cologne was back in the 90s and go. You know, the other thing is, and people don't point this out as often, but there's so many towels in a hotel. You were just mentioning, you know, you stay at a pretty good hotel. We're not staying at like the best Western or anything. You're staying in a nice hotel. You roll in there and there's like nine fresh folded towels. It's like, man, you know, I get in there and I just towel off, you know, under the armpits, throwing a little deodorant. Then you get in the shower and you towel off and you're like, I'll wrap one around my waist, put one in my hair. Like, you know, so you, you have access to this like huge kind of bounty of clean linens it's like i ah, might as well take advantage like you said the maid's gonna come in so she comes in and you've you've been in the hotel for one day and you've used like nine towels like yes you feel like uh like caesar like the emperor like uh ah, bring me more towels please you know anyway that's that's how we roll oh that is <laughs> that that is exactly how we roll yeah I'm with you on that. There, there's a plethora of towels and a plethora of opportunities to just bask in the glory of having the kingdom of your hotel room to do with whatever you want. Because as far as we know, I mean, who knows? Maybe someday there'll be video coming out. But I mean, I don't think anybody's watching. So I'm, you know, parading around and whatever I want. And like you said, you know, throw a towel down because, oh, my gosh, the towel might be a little chilly. I don't want to slip and fall. So I put down the towel, you know, and then I have, like you said, my wife will wrap the towel around her hair, you know, to dry off her hair. And I trust me, I've tried the technique several times. It's been unsuccessful, but I'm a work in progress. And like you said, I have no problem because I know if it doesn't work, it ends up on the floor. And the next day I can start all over again. You know, the final point about that, and I forgot is think about how much free time you get in your house with five other people in there. You know, like this is like a 10 day road trip is don't get me wrong. We already joked, joked about how hard your job is. But in general, it's work. You're getting on the plane, you're unpacking, you're packing, you got to go spend, you know, double header day, right? You got to spend seven hours, eight hours at the yard. There's tons of things going on. How often at home? I mean, I, I got hiding places in my house. Like, where's 
where did dad go? You know, I mean, so think about it that way too, folks, is that, you know, this is a, this is one of the rare moments, you know, you get two days at a hotel in Oakland, like with uh, clean linens and all, you know, and freedom. I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's the Roman emperor thing. It's the freedom. You do not, you used to be the king of the castle at home. That, that, those days are long gone, man. I'm, I, you know, I hide under my desk to, you know, just to get a, a free moment. So I think there's that too. King of the castle, king of the castle. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> We're good. This is great. No, I'm glad that that one kind of spurred a little bit of conversation. And of course, we hope that all of our conversation today spurs that conversation with everybody back in their cars. And hopefully you're getting back in the routine and we want to be a part of that routine. Hopefully you get out there and download the podcast and continue to do that. It's been a good one for me, Tuttle. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to finish this thing off if you want. I'm good. Hey, uh, so a couple of things. One is I'm going to say, I can't believe we have a sponsor. I'm so pumped. So um, I know that's that a, is exciting. Yeah, it's a big, big, big step in our uh, development here as podcasters. Uh, the other thing I'm super excited about, fantasy football is coming. Uh, we didn't touch on this today, but Jeff Blum and I are going to join a league with a couple of friends of ours, and we're actually going to be partners in crime. We're going to be uh, managing a team together. So uh, we don't disagree too often, but it'll be really interesting uh, come draft time. How uh, <laughs> come draft time? It'll tell us a lot about our GM skills and our ability oh, to yeah. uh, <laughs> to get along and how we want to manage our team. But we will keep you up to date uh, as the season rolls along about our fantasy football team. I think we settled yesterday. the The name of the team so far is Believe It, and uh, or did we go Left Coast Third Coast? Now I can't even remember. We see we couldn't agree on that already. You know what? I, I haven't changed it to Believe It, but I think it started as Texafornians, and then it went to <laughs> Left Coast Third Coast, and now it might go to Believe It. We can't even agree. What if we have the first pick overall? We can't even agree on a team name for crying out loud. Oh man, we're in trouble. So maybe, oh, if we really struggle, that's what we should do. How we got Blum and Blummer. We'll put up a poll on Twitter. That's going to be the way to get our uh, our fantasy football name. Um, and and not just fantasy football, but real football too. So the gambling piece that we touched on today, the minus 460, all that stuff, we will definitely dive into that because that's a fun part of football season for me. I'm in a couple different pools. One is you got to pick every single game with the spread. Um, that's fun. I usually have a couple of good weeks in me and, um, let's see, what else did I have here? No, I guess that's it. Um, last time we missed out on our, uh, our shout out to the military and uh, first responders. I just found out, um, I'll, I'll, he'll remain nameless now, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll throw his name on there some other time, but I just found out a guy at my CrossFit gym. I thought he was a uh, ex military. He has a, a thing in his shoulder, like a little mark. It looks, it, it honestly looked like a, a wound of some sort, but it's healed. Um, he's an ambulance driver, I think, wanting to get into the fire department. But uh, he was at the, uh, the festival in Vegas. He got shot in Vegas at that thing. And he's at my CrossFit gym, young guy, like 22 no years old. Way. Nice, dude, nicest guy in the world. Awesome. Hey, to I mean, totally normal guy. Takes off his shirt every once in a while while he's working out. And he basically, I mean, he was wounded at that at that uh, at the music festival in Vegas, and you just realize like these are the people like he's never said that to me. Somebody else told me that, but you realize these are the people you come into contact with every single day, um, and uh, and he's an ambulance driver and just an awesome dude. He's 22 years old, got his whole life ahead of him. So, you know what a what a 
inspirational thing for me to just know on the sly about him. And he's never mentioned it once. And I worked out with him a few times. Great guy. And uh, again, so just, just, I think you always say this, but right, just, you know, keep those kind of people in mind and know that a lot of people run into the fire when we're running out and, uh, you know, take every day as a blessing and enjoy. So I, I'm enjoying the podcast, Blummer. It's great to have you on the left coast. Now you got the rest of your day to get after it. Um, don't bet on it until we start giving you gambling tips. That's my, that's my closer for the day. So anyway. I like it. Nice work, Tuttle. And what's amazing about all of the the military and the first responders that we always talk about is the humility of these people. And that's what allows them to go in there into harm's way and really give us the opportunity to enjoy some of the freedoms that we do have. And it has been a little bit of a rough week, you know, talking about the events in Vegas uh, with uh, Tuttle's workout buddy and then El Paso, Dayton, Ohio. Just know that we're all thinking about you. And uh, we're, 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 you guys are in our prayers, but we're also praying for the, you know, the, the first responders that run into those situations and try and limit the damage that is caused by all that. It's been a good week. Tuttle crushed it again. He's going to go have to go out and probably get that back massaged a little bit because he carries the podcast so frequently. And I actually just got some recent real quick news An alert popped up on my phone regarding Garrett Cole of the Houston Astros. And he did not make his last start because of the hamstring issue that he felt. And apparently, they, the Astros announced that they don't expect him to miss his next start. So that's good news as far as the Astros front, because he is definitely one of the horses in that rotation. It's been a good podcast. I'm super stoked to get uh, a sponsor. I think it's going to encourage us to be a little bit better and work a little bit harder on this podcast. We hope everybody is having a good time with school starting back up. And this is going to do it for this episode number 28 of Bleacher Blums. And of course, we always want to remind you, Get after it, and most of all, believe it.